I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the Power Platform Show. Full show notes for this episode can be found at nz365guy.com forward slash 314. And by the way, there's going to be a lot of show notes today. Before we chat with today's guest, here's a quick message from our sponsors. Well, to do something a little different, I've set up a buymeacoffee.com forward slash nz365guy URL. Uh, and that's designed for those folks that want to help or contribute to sponsoring the show. Uh, I've never shared this before, but basically it costs me over 10,000 US a year to actually produce the Microsoft Biz Apps uh, podcast. And so I just thought it was a little way for those that want to, you know, be supporters of the show um, that could shout me a coffee maybe. So that's buymeacoffee.com forward slash nz365guy. Without further ado, though, let's get on to the show. First time I've done a show where I've got three guests on the show, so it runs a little longer, but man, it is worth listening to every second of it. With that, let's get started. Today's guests are all from England and the United Kingdom. We have Lucy Bourne, Lee Baker, and Andrew Walsh on the call. This is the first time I've done a podcast with so many guests on the show, so it's going to be entertaining. You can check out Lucy on Twitter at Lucy Alice Bourne, Lee as Lee M. Baker, and Andrew as Andrew Walsh. Uh, so feel free to check those guys out and uh, follow them on those channels. Guys, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, thanks so Mark. much. Yeah, good to have Mark. you on. Mark, can I yeah. just point out that uh, that that Lucy and Lee may have picked up that uh, there was a mistake in my in my Twitter name as you as you just said it. It's Do Andrew you know D. Welch. There's a long-standing joke about this. Oh my gosh! Do you know, I I looked right <laughs> over the D, like I did, like it didn't even register in my mind. You're right. It's Andrew D. Welch. Many of your listeners will laugh at this because I um, rather awkwardly on stage at uh, presenting with Manuela Piclair at the uh, uh, Power Platform World Tour London a few years ago was saying where people could find me on Twitter. And I added, don't forget the D. And I've since been sent things like someone made me a coffee. Keith Watling made me a coffee mug that says, don't forget the D. And uh, this this is something that so shout out to Keith, Allison Mulligan, everyone who will uh, who will laugh at this. Thanks, guys. I was I was in that session. Oh. I, was, yet, I was sitting on the left hand side the of the room in the front row. You forgot, enough, the, forgot D. the D. Yeah, there you go. Who can forget the D? <laughs> um, I always love uh, uh, Mark Christie created a, a bunch of stickers back a few years ago. In fact, I think all you guys were there when we were in um, where where we were in Amsterdam together, right? And uh, he he created these bunch of stickers, which just had that old Dynamics logo and just said, I love with the D. <laughs> <laughs> and was, you know? I don't remember that, but maybe this no, is a easy for more stickers. Yeah, like I, I can I can look at my laptop here and it's got the sticker still on it. I love D. Mm. <laughs> well, I believe I believe that was the same conference in Amsterdam, Mark, when mm-hmm. you famously told a crowd of people that Dynamics 365 was dead. Right. Yeah. 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 Man, yeah. hasn't that been awesome? I've, I've yeah. definitely <laughs> reaped the benefits of that statement. We, we, we've covered a lot of ground in the first five minutes here. Good. Yeah. That was also yeah, a fairly so transformational true. conference for me as well. And I had to compare Dynamics 365 marketing and click dimensions in front of the entire product team for Dynamics marketing. Wow. And the senior <laughs> management team for click dimensions. I think, yeah. Oh, I think, that was so yeah. funny. That. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, hey, that was, that was quite, man, wasn't that. That was kind of like a, a marquee event around a whole bunch of stuff happening, wasn't it, that uh, Amsterdam trip? It really was. Pretty pretty uh, monumental trip. Yeah, yeah, I mean, some some people definitely got intoxicated to the extreme at that event. <laughs> 
Keith Watling yeah. almost killed Keith Watling almost killed a waiter at that at that event. Well, oh, that's <laughs> right. We were looking for food on the final night, weren't we? I think. Yeah, I remember yeah. us having to do a whip round um, and finance somebody that had lost all their wallet, keys, yeah. phone, ev- everything in some early hours of the morning. But it does Should turn we... out that what happens in Amsterdam should, should, does he... not stay in Amsterdam. No, exactly. It he shall remain podcast. nameless because I actually, on a podcast with him, brought it up and he was like, yeah, it's kind of like a real low point in my life. I don't want to mention it again. <laughs> so, you know what, though? though if, if that fellow is listening, he is just one of the greatest guys. I, I, isn't he? He is one of my favorite members of our of our community. Yeah. So to yeah. a guy who lost his wallet and his keys and his watch and his cell phone and maybe mm-hmm. his pants in Amsterdam, you, yeah. sir, are are a good fellow, and I miss yes. you. Yes, and I particularly like his haircut. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got, he's <laughs> got sure. a great style about him. Yep. <laughs> Every time there's something new, you know, he comes out with it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So so just, you know, there's, there's probably folks in the audience that don't know who we all are. Um, so, Lucy, why don't you go ahead tell us a bit about who you are, where you're from. I was very surprised recently, Lucy, to see you got your British passport. And I was like, I thought you were British. So perhaps <laughs> you can uncover that. And then we'll follow with Lee and on to Andrew. I did post that. You're quite right, Mark. And to be honest, um, I got my British passport after just a huge amount of time and trying to get a renewal. So I've always been British. Um, however, only just recently got my passport. But as we all know, we can't even use it to travel anywhere. So it's a bit of a non-point yeah. anyway. Um, So yeah, so I'm currently at Microsoft um, here in the UK and I look after onboarding our ISVs, so partners who choose to build IP or hardcore ISVs that are building products on our business application stack, be it Dynamics 365 or the Power Platform. And I joined Microsoft from Hitachi Solutions where I spent um, a couple of years working on their um, pre-sales team. So working really in depth in like establishing the art of the possible and really ultimately nerding out on dynamics and the power platform. Do mm. you know that one thing that, you know, kind of stands out of my mind is when I first met you, Lucy, which, <laughs> you know, um, it was, it was at the first Scottish summit and what, um, and I might've met you before that, but this, this moment stands out of my mind. We were, we were chatting and you have an uncanny way of connecting people. So like introduce, introducing one person to somebody else um, and getting a conversation started. And then, you know, which is a great, you know, amazing network skill. But it stood out in my mind at just how, how naturally you seem to be able to flow through that and connect people, get them into a conversation and then, you know, be able to even exit yourself and move on to another conversation. So it's actually always stuck within in my mind and I try to replicate, you know, uh, in a network setting the way you did that. Thanks so much, Mark. I have to be honest. I think I probably learned all of that from you. Mm, it was it was good. The, the guy you introduced me to was um, specifically was from Solgari. It was uh, Ed. Oh, yeah. Ed from Solgari. Great um, guy. Yeah. And like, look at that. I don't remember most people's names or even two names, like a company name and a person's name. So yeah, good. Stuck in my mind. See? <laughs> Lee and Andrew will Lee. tell you some of my ultimate skills. I may not be able to remember the entirety of a product name or the depths of a licensing guide for Power Platform, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you every single one of my partner's kids' names and their birthdays. It's just, yeah, it's it's a, I don't know whether it's a skill or a curse, but I'm certainly able to use it. That's a skill. (laughs) There's not a a lot of point remembering any product names here anyway, is there? (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh, isn't that the truth? Lee, tell us a bit about you, mate. Hey, yeah, sure. Um, Lee Baker. So I was going to try and answer what I did as a job then, but I seem to just get thrown at everything. So uh, Andrew and I work together. I work as partly as a solution architect, partly as within pre-sales, partly within different parts of business development and putting together our go-to-market opportunities and um, technical advisor to different clients and kind of just get chucked at all sorts of different things, to be honest. Um, but my background is kind of Devi and architectury. Um, well, once I'd finished kind of fitting windows and decided I wanted to get into technology, I suppose. Um, nice, nice. And yeah, as a dev, as an architect, Power Platform, Dynamics, and Azure. Uh, I will also add. I'll, I'll add about Lee because he 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 hasn't gotten good at saying this yet. But Lee is a mm-hmm. uh, recently recognized Microsoft fast track solution architect for Power Platform, which is oh I my dare gosh. Say, 
more prestigious than being an MVP by by a mile. Truly so, incredible. Yes. Why why did I not know this, Lee? <laughs> Mate, as in where's all the tweets and LinkedIn posts and look at me, uh, look at me. You, know, you must not be messages. following me, I suppose. Did you block my content again? <laughs> he, for, he forgot your D. Uh, yeah, <laughs> mate. That congratulations on that. Like that, that I do see as a real premium, you know, recognition and qualification in the industry. Being that you know you 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 have to have been doing this for a while. You have to pass an interview process, you know, which is is personal um, with with the fast track team. So well done, mate. Well done. Ah, thank you. Yeah, it was quite. It, all the stuff turned up for it the other day as well, like it, yeah. in a similar way to the MVP kits. And Microsoft had really kind of gone to town on it with the the awards and the bags and coats and yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah, it was good. So did you get a big brass brass hashtag kind of? <laughs> yes. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. And you got a coat? Yeah. I've, never, yeah. I've never gotten a coat, Lee. Yeah, um, trench coat. like and And like those brass knuckles, I'm like – what are they trying to do? Make you look like a gangster or what? <laughs> I don't think I'm yeah. gonna pass as a gangster though, am I? Yeah, you got too big a smile, Lee. You got too big a smile, that killer smile, mate. <laughs> I gotta be honest though, I think the best thing was the cocktail shaker. So shout out to the F Yeah. <laughs> shout out to the program team who put together that awesome branded cocktail maker. Switch. Top top notch. Did it come with a bottle of anything? No, but it did come with a gift card to get something, which I thought oh, was really nice. nice. Yeah. Really nice. good. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, Andrew, tell us about you. Yeah, well, so I, Mark, I had to do a little bit of a double take when you began this and you said all three of our guests are from England in the United Kingdom. I don't know if I've ever been introduced as being from England. And if you listen to me, you know that I'm not. Um, but I do I do live here in, in the UK now. So that's a that's a first for me. Thanks, Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think of my hometown as being Provincetown, Massachusetts on Cape Cod, just across the bay from from Boston. So uh, I am American before before moving to the UK. I've worked for uh, several different partners, ISV and and system integrator. Um, so I've been around I, I like Lee and Lucy, I come from a from a dynamics background. I've been around business applications with Microsoft for about a decade now. Um, I, I remember I, I got into the community when somehow Chris Huntingford heard that I had at the ISV that I worked for worked on a solution that had something like 2,500 custom entities in it. And from then on, I don't even know if Chris knew my name. I just sort of became the 2,500 custom entities guy. And that was how I, uh, that was how I met everyone. But, um, yeah. Crazy. (laughs) Don't don't you have some Swedish in you as well? I I, I do. I'm see, I wasn't going to bring that up because Lucy and Lee would have never let me hear the end of it. And I would have gotten a message from Jonas Rupp saying, Andrew really puts the ish in Swedish. So, but I, I am indeed half Swedish. So I consider myself to be Swedish American as, uh, wow. as they say. But you would Very only cool. be too British cool. if you describe those entities as 2,500 and not 2,500. So um, we're still working on the migration mm. process. A yeah. ways to go yet. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a challenge. And I'm actually flying to the U S tomorrow. I'll be gone for a couple, I'll be out of the UK for a couple of weeks. It'll be my first time in God, eight months, something like that. Mm -hmm. So I'll have to, I'll have to reacclimate to driving on the proper side of the road and to pronouncing my words correctly and, and not speaking, Uh speaking rubbish, you might say. Well, you so it's interesting you talk about pronouncing words correctly, and I know we've got to get into the meat of the show, but do you know that Americans that butchered so much of, uh, you know, British English was done because of the telegraph, is that, you know, every letter cost money, and so uh, often they would, you know, colour as an example, C-O-L-O-U-R, we would, you know, in your C-O-L-O-R, um, and that all came about because you could get the word across by dropping a letter off and saving yourself, you know, a few pennies in the telegraph service. And that's how the, the divergence apparently happened between true English and then the American kind of butchered English. No way. That, that goes in. That goes into the oh. category of things that it doesn't even need to be right. It just sounds right. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with it until someone tells me that yeah. I and therefore Mark Smith are, are wrong. <laughs> well, the thing is, the thing is. If 
if we based it all, all words based on how they sound, all my misspelling would all be correct. <laughs> I think we should go I can't with it. Sense. We'd save a fortune on yeah. telegraphies. Yeah, t- t- totally, totally. <laughs> Imagine how quicker an email would get through if we just dropped a character here and there. <laughs> okay, we're here to talk about PowerApps Adoption Framework, which is, which is a community project that I know you guys are passionate about. And so I'd love to drill into it. First of all, maybe, Andrew, you could tell us what is the PowerApps Adoption Framework? Yeah, so um, uh, it's it's the Power Platform Adoption Framework. We don't we do not mm-hmm. stop at Power Apps. Um, Excellent. And this is it's it's funny that we it's funny that that we talked about the Amsterdam conference uh, a few moments ago because Amsterdam is Amsterdam is where it all started. Um, there was Lee can actually probably tell the the story better than anyone, but uh, long and the short of it is that uh, Lucy Lee Keith Watling um, Manuela. Picler and myself, um, we uh, we wound up all kind of meeting it in in Amsterdam. I think some knew one another beforehand, and this was in kind of early days of uh, of the power platform as we know it today. And there was a real sense, um, kind of this emerging idea that if we we're going to take this thing uh, uh, enterprise scale, if big enterprise organizations, we're talking Fortune 100, we're talking large government agencies, um, et cetera. We're really going to go all in on Power Platform. There needed to be an adoption, a modernization, migration, and really importantly, an enterprise management and governance story around the platform. And that's how the adoption framework was born at the time. All five of us worked for different companies, and we kind of put our ideas together and it, it became very quickly an open source, community driven. It's all on GitHub. Anyone can use it. I always sort of laugh sometimes when I see language from the adoption framework show up in other partners' literature um, uh, about Power Platform. But that's that's the real idea. It's a how what's the global set of best practices in terms of how we adopt, manage, govern, and scale application development on the platform in really big enterprises. Awesome. So break it down a bit for me. What are, what are the moving parts of the Power Platform Adoption Framework? Um, you know, you've talked about, you know, governance is such a broad word. Some people would, you know, consider it as a, a way for us to be controlled or, or uh, you know, conjoled into doing something. But can you kind of break down what are the kind of key moving parts or components of the Power Platform Adoption Framework? Yeah, so it's interesting that you, it, 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 that's an interesting question because in the um, upcoming, some really upcoming changes that I think should probably be out in circulation on GitHub by the time this podcast goes live, we're going to make some changes. So in the past, um, by the way, everyone, I hope we're good with these changes because we're about to to share them with everyone. Um, but in the past, we've talked a lot about you begin an adoption with this idea of a quick start, which is kind of that you know, first couple of months getting set up and established on the platform, and then you move into three tracks, one around building solutions, another around road mapping, uh, road mapping new workloads to come on the platform, and then the third uh, around enterprise management and governance. We used to number those tracks, one to three, about uh, nine, ten months ago, uh, Emily Kartner proposed and suggested that we get rid of the numbering because we wanted to kind of value them all equally. But we're going to do a little bit of reshuffling here. So um, the future of the adoption framework is that that initial motion, so to speak, when you first start to get established on the platform, uh, we're stealing this from from Azure land. Uh, That's about setting up your landing zone. So that's about establishing a minimum viable platform that you can start to deploy workloads on and mature it from there. And then from there, your three tracks, uh, just a little bit of a kind of a renaming are solution development. We didn't want to just limit it to building apps. So it's solution development, really big workloads, critical, important workloads on the platform, Uh, business value. Business value is the new roadmap, right? So it's not enough to simply just make a big list of workloads and use cases you want to move to the platform. It's really important to actually orient those that roadmap around where you're going to deliver the greatest business value. Um, and then finally, enterprise management, that that stays the same. I would say that's almost the, the meat of the framework. That's where we go the deepest in terms of content. Um, but that's there, there's five pillars and 22 dimensions of what we think of 
as enterprise management on the platform. And uh, I'll kick it over to Lee, who probably can take you on a little bit of a journey about how COE does not equal governance, does not equal enterprise management. And the COE starter kit is a very small, important part, but I'll, I'll turn it over to Lee for, for that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of as Andrew mentioned, the the adoption framework covers all manner of different things, but the kind of enterprise management governance and kind of setting up the scale, we split down into the into the five pillars and we we include um, user empowerment within that as well. So in some in some organizations, it wants to be set up to empower citizen developers to be able to go and build everything other in uh, other organizations. We're looking at more hybrid fusion teams. Um, and some organizations are just this is this is another prodev tool that is just is just rapid in iteration. So just to make sure that we can kind of set all of that up to scale, whether it's splitting out environments to ensure um, that the right support can be given to the right levels of environments um, and to in, like the security then within or whether that's the ALM processes for more critical workloads. Um, but as well as um, onboarding and training citizen developers um, and understanding Kind of how they want to take the platform forward as well to get best value for money out of the out of the licensing. Um, yeah, Lucy, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I think one of the areas, and I know you guys know this about me already, but I think one of the areas I'm most passionate about in the adoption framework is is the concept of prioritization. I think we see amongst organisations that have a desire to adapt, um, adopt a low-code, no-code solution is kind of going either one of two ways. They go feet first, let's get every line of business workload onto this platform to really drain the value out of it, or will they go the other way where they're like, how many guardrails can we put up? We want to protect, you know, we, we want to be really super careful and only, you know, release access to this as and when is necessary, like truly necessary. So for me, working on that, you know, true prioritization at, and, and finding the sweet spot of the workloads where they're not only uh, nice to haves and they're going to add value to your organization, but they can provide either quick or medium term wins or, or ultimately big wins. And so Andrew's done a fantastic job actually putting together a, a really nice diagram in the prioritization section of the Power Platform Adoption Framework, which kind of almost sort of quadrant style um, maps out where and how you should prioritize workloads to deliver onto the power platform. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so what, we can, what, Mark, we'll, we'll send you, we'll send you a link. There's a whole blog post that Lucy and yeah. uh, Emily Cartner and I worked on together when it comes to how to really take on that, that, that roadmap. That's so good. We'll, and we'll make sure it's in the show notes. Emily Cartner's name's come up through a few times. Who is she? Tell me a bit. Yeah, she's she's one of our our really good friends and friends and colleagues and and a uh, frequent frequent contributor to the uh, to to the framework. Um, she is when it comes to enterprise management and governance of the platform. She she really is one of the one of the world's best, um, and she's also a close friend. So she's kind of a frequent a frequent collaborator, and um, uh, she's not loud, um, which is so often how you get noticed in this community. But uh, she is yeah. good. So, so she, awesome. she's a real awesome. part of the team. So, so one of the things that came up then was um, that this is not the COE starter kit. And of course, Manuela is, you know, probably, I assume she's the lead on that product inside Microsoft. Um, uh, and of course she got started with this beat when, you know, back in the days that she was working at Virgin Atlantic um, before joining Microsoft. But what do you mean when you say the COE is not part of the, uh, power platform adoption framework or is not the same thing as do the two play together are there components that you would recommend that an organization take both um what's what's your what's your take on that yeah absolutely so um we do talk about the coe starter kit within the power platform adoption framework and when i kind of mentioned about those five pillars within one of those five pillars we do talk very heavily about the coe starter kit but um, the COE starter kit gives you some of the, the physical tools to do the job rather than the company's strategy and process for pushing this forward, which a lot of it is not technology driven as well. Um, the COE starter kit is also obviously very, very generic and, and is set up to, to work for all sizes of organization as well as for um, all types of industries and, and so forth. Um, so it doesn't cover things like when you get to scale of 
clustering hundreds or thousands of environments? How does how does that get handled? How do we start to be able to put this in the hands of someone who's working within an organization in a, an end user and let them succeed by managing that? So it's it's definitely a super important part of the adoption framework. Um, but the adoption framework goes a lot further than just tech. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that's I, I think Lee's totally right there. And and Keith and I have been kind of in the room with with the COE the, the COE team at Microsoft from from near the beginning. And so I, I think that we're we're all big supporters of of the COE starter kit and the COE model. But when you break down the framework into the 22 component dimensions, one of them is the COE starter kit. So as I always tell people, yes, the COE starter kit is important, but it is only one twenty second at at most of the entire uh, picture that that you have to paint uh, around the platform. Makes sense. Lucy, did you have something to add there? Oh God, Mark, as you know, I probably talk about this all night, but I think, yeah, I mean, Andrew hinted one thing earlier around um, business value assessment is really the answer to all questions. And I think certainly at Microsoft, we're hearing, you know, really commonly around catalyst programs and painting the art of the possible and really painting the picture of business value. And I think, you know, to the point on the center of excellence, whilst the data that's provided can help guide the direction of where the value may come from. Um, really, we all we almost want to turn the data and the insight out of the center of excellence toolkit inside out to help paint that picture of the business value, which is probably my my second passion topic when it comes to the power platform adoption framework, uh, bar, you know, the adoption and prioritization piece. Yeah, yeah. So, so let me put this to you. Let's say I have a team of architects um, you know, as part of my practice, and and we do everything from federal government type uh, projects through to uh, banking, through to um, uh, even you know mining, as as an example. So all big, big type of accounts, generally multi million dollar projects that are that are on the go. Is this something that I should have all my architects go end to end and understand the Power Platform Adoption Framework, and then start? Um, uh, integrating that and as part of uh, every project, like like take it from me, I've not looked at I've not looked at GitHub. I've I looked at the original document that came out. I think I read that all the way through. Um, uh, you know, back in the day when you first released this, tell me, you know, how do and just from the lens of a partner right now, and we'll look at it through some other lenses in a moment. How do you, you know, go to GitHub? W- w- Grab these resources. What 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 are you expecting? The steps that a architect specifically should take in working with this material. Oh sure. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so oh I mean, firstly, if you've got a team of power platform architects, could you let us know where they are? Because they are not easy. Oh, to hell find. no. <laughs> hell um, no. Let's just let's just say shortly, I'll be looking to recruit at least ten of them. <laughs> oh well, oh, well then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy job that. Um, yeah. I would suggest if you're looking at Power Platform to go as a partner and install it to just be on the edge of CE or on the edge of FNO to fill in some gaps and use as a bit of a toy for an organization, some of the Power Platform is use the adoption framework is useful, but it's not going to drive as much value for you. If you're looking to sell Power Platform as a enterprise scalable modern digital transformation platform to take any client kind of to the next stage of kind of modernization and app development and moving things forward, then 100%. It's it's for that audience. We have all of our architects read it and kind of know it inside out and contribute to it as well. Um, and as I know, kind of a lot of the other big partners do with it as well and contribute to it. Um, so it's def- it's definitely for for that audience and to understand we're, we're in us in the past with CE we'd have just thought about maybe a dev test prod environment for an example or maybe there's a few more different parts of QA emerging and multiple dev stuff like that but we're looking at a platform here that could have like seriously hundreds and or thousands even of workloads on it there's it's it's just a whole different scale to how we would have delivered ce in the past yeah. so so so, yeah, so, so that's something that, that's interesting that you say that because you know one of the conversations i've even had with huntingford recently and and others is that for the last two or three four years we've heard a lot about app development you know um uh automation using power automate things like that 
But I, th- I feel that there's been a turning of the tide, particularly in the last six to nine months, where we're hearing much more of the platform coming into focus and us talking about, you know, going into an organization, not building a couple of apps, but actually, you know, replatforming obsolete or end of life uh, apps, you know, all future app development being built on the single platform. So really a platform strategy and approach to um, to how this is implemented across an organization. And so I just hear that in what you're saying, Lee, you know, that is the target audience. What what are you guys seeing in, in respect to that around, you know, customers' appetite now moving more from just an app story to a platform story? Oh yeah. I, I think that I think that first and foremost, and this is this is the the part of the story that I think a lot of folks have missed about Power Platform up until, as you say, very recently, you know, maybe the last six to nine months. And that is that um, Power Platform doesn't exist in isolation. It exists as a principal platform, one of the three principal platforms in the broader Microsoft cloud. Um, a lot of folks in the past, I think, have kind of seen it as an edge case, an engine for edge cases, right? Like we need to extend CE here and there, that type of thing. Um, gosh, I, Mark, I feel like we were talking about this a year ago, right? And we were talking about that. This is the next thing. But what we're seeing now and what I think we're, where I think we'd all be in agreement, the real value of, of Power Platform is not in the first workload or the point solution dynamics for sales or customer service or whatever. All of those, those are important. Um, but the real value of the platform is not in one workload. It's in getting a thousand workloads onto the platform. Um, I, I've been working with an organization that is, no joke, moving their plan is to move 15,000 workloads we have a it's a backlog and a roadmap of 15,000 things to move on to power platform and that's you know that's legacy business processes infopath access sharepoint old applications that they want to retire i'm not hearing people talk about how we're going to evacuate a data center by replatforming all of that all of the data centers resident apps onto power platform so the scale is really the scale of the game has changed really fundamentally. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to Alan Chai, you know, of Slumberjay, and he was saying something like 19, 20,000 workloads now that they've migrated to the platform, you know, just mind blowing numbers now. If I'm honest and perhaps slightly cynically, I think we've still got a really long way to go. I think we talk quite commonly and, you know, I think Andrew and Leah are in a really positive position where they're, you know, living and breathing this daily. But when I speak to some of the specialists at Microsoft who are actively on the ground, you know, looking for these opportunities, they're finding them. But I think the conversation is still quite hard to have with these organizations. And I think that's predominantly because they're not set up necessarily to procure in a way that is cross-organization. And so I think... I think, again, and I'm going to come back to that same point, the more that we can articulate the business value that's specific to the organizations we are presenting to, the more we can talk about a wider platform play. Because I think until we can do that, it's always going to look as if it's a low-code, no-code solution to fix a point solution at a point in time. At the end of the day, these organizations are familiar with the concept of procuring ERP or CRM or a solution to fix a problem or a you know a workload at a specific point in time but it's unusual and it's still new to organizations to be acquiring across a business so Andrew you've probably got loads more to add to this point <laughs> yeah I, I think that I mean that that Lucy this gets into one of the things that you and I talked about at, at Scottish Summit this past year right which is that there needs to be a mindset to thinking of the kind of the fixed costs around um, around power platform and around kind of this cloud transformation, not in terms of like sunk IT costs, right? It's not a capital cost where you're going to you know buy the thing and then you're going to depreciate it or you're going to buy the thing and you're going to kind of point it in one direction for one specific need. It's more like a people cost, right? It's more like a if, if, if you buy the premise, and by the way, if you don't buy this premise, then you, you will probably have a really rough decade. But if you buy the premise that every company or every organization in order to succeed needs to be a software company, right? Um, 
which I think was a trend before the pandemic. And now I think it's inarguable. So if you buy that, then you also need to buy the premise that therefore we need to put the right tools in the hands of our people. So it's been for a long time, we've thought of, oh yeah, we have to buy this personal laptop. That's sort of the cost of doing business of adding an additional human to your workforce. I think that the same is increasingly applying to, I don't want to you know, to, to the L word, right? To the license that you put in the hand, that license is a tool. It's not a sunk cost. You put that in the hands of all of your employees. And that's how you really get to this sort of scalable value. The value is not in the first workload. The first workload is actually really expensive. It's that the second workload is very, is much, much cheaper. And as you deploy more and more on the platform, you are lowering the marginal costs of that cloud transfer. And at the end of the day, the users they're onboarding, the users whose backpack you're filling with the new laptop and the license and the key to the success is they come to that organization expecting that experience. You know, they have that experience on their device when they're logging into their online banking, when they're, you know, shopping online. And so as organizations, we're having to adapt to provide the same experience within the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so true. Now, and, and what, what is, one of the things you mentioned, I don't know, I think it was you, Andrew, there was talking about the clouds. And re- in recent times, I've seen James Phillips role inside Microsoft Expand, which seems to be in gay, uh, being across the, the three clouds are much, much more. And, uh, and you know, I know that he's, he's acquired a lot more of the Azure side of things. So we've got these three clouds, which sometimes our competitors use against us, right? We've got uh, the Microsoft 365, Office 365 type. Uh, we've got Azure. And of course, we've got um, the Power Platform. And and, you know, when I say sometimes our competitors use us against us, they say, look at that, they can't even, you know, which cloud do you use type thing? And we know it's a, a very holistic approach. And, and, of course, we're even now starting to get into industry clouds, but it's all really more a way, you know, tech is delivered. What's Andrew, what's your take on this three cloud story? And does the Power, plat- uh, the power Platform Adoption Framework in, encompass this? Yeah, so, so it's... Interesting that you asked that today. I was corresponding with someone um, inside of Microsoft uh, hours ago, and I I was told that this is uh, my exact question was, is this true and open so all cool? And this person said, yes, so I'm I'm rolling with it. Um, But you know, at this point, and, and who knows what happens inside of Microsoft, right? This could all be different, right? By the time the the thing the the podcast airs, right? But um, at this point, Azure data pro- product teams who deal with Azure data services, services like AI, ML, et cetera, IoT, those services um, live inside of Azure, but they're now rolling up inside of what, what of James Phillips' organization, right? So what we used to call the business applications group, the BAG, uh, maybe we still call it that. But um, in any case, I think that that's, um, yeah, you know, it's like jiggering with the org chart, fine. But I think that there's some, there's some, some, insight there about how Microsoft sees the platform. So I think that Microsoft really sees Power Platform and its role in the whole Microsoft cloud ecosystem is really being um, a huge part of the really the, the app dev platform of choice going into the future, and then a huge part of the data story. And, and to that, I'll, I'll kick it over to Lee because Lee and I have done a lot of work around this concept of power platform in the modern data platform architecture, which is really all about, and yes, you can go to the framework, this is all, it's all brand new to the framework, but really this concept of how do you build power platform into your into your data ecosystem? And with that, I'm going on mute because Lee is going to come off on mute. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so it's it's kind of one of the things that we always look at when we look at this platform for the future for 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 an organization and that we we don't have a walk into a client that's got zero technology they're very rarely only on one vendor either there's usually always aws or google or anything else in there as well as microsoft so how do we really kind of bring the platform together now we're not going to re-platform necessarily everything on all of those other clouds you'd kind of be naive to think that that was a, a the thing to do or was even possible but 
um, to to bring in the platform and kind of make it marry well with not over not even just the three clouds that we talk about within um, Microsoft World, but also with the other clouds outside as well, bringing in those data points, whether that's things like virtual entities, which are probably just going to get better and better, or um, the different connectors for flow and bringing that data in to surface it in Dataverse and then whether it's customer insights and stuff to, to, to work against that data as well. Um, the, it's, it's really important to kind of bring this all together under this one holistic cloud technology for a, a, for a client. And that, that covers all the different vendors, as I say. But specifically within Microsoft, we're seeing the barriers come down to Azure specifically from the platform almost day by day, whether it's things like function Azure functions being brought in closer. Some of the things Andrew just mentioned about the data ownership, virtual entities is going to be a key one, I think, in terms of how that brings all sorts of data and is just fronted by Dataverse um, APIs. Um, it's it's really transformative when all that is brought back together again and is then is then usable with the same set of APIs from, from Dataverse. Uh, I'm really to the point where, um, with with no offense intended to Microsoft's marketing team, where we should be calling this not Power Platform, but the Cloud Platform or the Cloud Application Platform, because that that's really that's really this is Microsoft's Cloud Platform. And to connect what Lee said, Mark, back to one of the questions that you asked uh, a few moments ago about, say, you're a solution architect, or you've got from the partner perspective, or even from the customer perspective, you've got a team of solution architects, what should they be doing with the adoption framework? Uh, there's two There's two pieces of insight in what Lee just said. One is that uh, data ecosystem is one of the 22 dimensions of the enterprise management model that you'll find inside of, of, of the framework, right? That's about how do you use services, some live on Power Platform proper, Dataverse, uh, virtual entities, or I guess virtual tables now. Um, how do you use some of those services, but also how do you use uh, services like EventGrid or Azure Data Factory uh, or what have you, other data data stores, for example, so uh, Data Lake, Cosmos DB, um, uh, et cetera, right? How do you knit all of that data together in a way inside of an enterprise, right, that gets fronted sort of by power platform, power apps, power virtual agents, power automate, power BI, right, at that kind of end user, that pointy end of the spear uh, place. So I think that from an enterprise management perspective, that's one thing that solution architects or particularly maybe enterprise architects need to be thinking of. But the other bit, and we see this, I'm going to get Lee on a roll here, is that um, we see this all the time where uh, folks come to the platform and they're trying to design or build a solution and they start with the solution. They start with kind of the shiny thing on the top. Whereas I always recommend that the solution architect, when you're standing at that whiteboard, start with the data model, start with the data first, because everything else should be you. What you're doing when you build a solution is you are trying to find the clearest path between data and humans and making data usable by humans. So start with the data model and connect it to the human, the user, as quickly as possible. Don't start in the middle with kind of the app layer and try to work your way side to side. Start with the data and connect it to the human. Yeah, and just to yeah, just to extend that a little bit, and I think it's I think it was really telling that no matter how many times they tried to rename Common Data Service, they never put the word power in front of it. Um, I don't I don't think I think that becomes I think Dataverse with a few tweaks and improvements becomes the data store of of Azure. It's it's going to manage different types of data differently. Obviously, it does that really well now, and it's just going to get better over time. And I think it will it will just take over the disparate data stores that we see for so many different things. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. I put a uh, up in one of the forums or whatever, you know, um, uh, I, I put a, about a year ago the need for um, back then CDS to be uh, available in Azure and it got voted through the roof and, of course, the people come out and was like, you know, it's not just data. Of course, we, we know the architecture behind it is it's not just about data, but... Um, it's interesting that you say that, Lee, that that's, that's probably ultimately where we're going to end up. And, uh, uh, it's pretty phenomenal, pretty phenomenal. The trip, the trip we've been on. Tell, tell us about what? risk. Oh, what, 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 
Sorry, what was that, Andrew? Oh, no, I, Mark, I, and I, we can pick up on the risk question, but I was just going to say one of the things that I'm probably going to make an enemy out of all the Azure data specialists out there. And I just want to say that I don't want to be your enemy. I want to be your friend because I think that we have lots to share with one another, right? But one of the things that surprises me is that when I talk with really, really knowledgeable, just very talented people in the power platform space, um, and I'm not talking about building productivity, those more kind of end-user productivity solutions, say a Canvas app on SharePoint. Though I see people, we see people doing amazing things, getting Canvas apps to work with to consume data from SharePoint. I'm talking about kind of critical level applications and folks who come from that perspective on Power Platform. And it's that they, those folks really seem to know their stuff increasingly when it comes to using Azure data services. I still really alarmingly run into folks who come from the Azure perspective and they, they are experts in uh, Azure data services um, who have, in some cases, never even heard of Dataverse or common data service. So it's going to be a really interesting moment when Power Platform data folk meet Azure data folk, because I think that this is anecdotal. I think that Power Platform data folk have a higher level of awareness of Azure data services than, say, Azure data folk going going in the opposite direction. Oh, so that's just without a doubt, without, with, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, yeah, yeah. So to, let, let's jump into risk. And, and you know, a lot of organizations, when I, I always say, when, when they're selecting a technology, when they're selecting a partner, they, they don't necessarily buy buy something based on the benefits it'll bring to an organization. I know this might be controversial, but they buy to avoid uh, risk. You know, if you like, you know, there be dragons there type thing. They're, they're there to, they're there to mitigate potential problems in the organization or they buy the, you know, or they go with the, the safest partner, the partner that's going to pose the least risk to them. Um, and so they'll choose a partner based on their belief in, in, in the partner's ability to execute. And same with technology, that, that they, the technology um, will deliver. When you, within the framework, when you're looking at risk and risk management at an enterprise scale, what, what are you thinking about? Yeah, so, so I think, first, and, first of all, the, the framework, a huge part of the purpose of the framework, right, is to uh, provide these enterprise organizations and the partners that serve them with a model that has been proven and kind of iterated over time to help them buy down risk. Uh, the fact is most of us got into this business, right? And when I say this business, I mean kind of IT broadly, but application solution development more specifically, most of us got in this business because we want to build beautiful and useful things. And that's great. Uh, and it's very romantic and very exciting and everything. But the fact is, is that if you are a CIO sitting inside of a uh, you know Fortune 100 financial services firm, firm or a uh, defense and military organization as you know as a part of government, right? Um, you you are looking, you are obsessed, rightly so, with risk and how to buy it down. So one of the things that we've done in the framework, and this is. Um, uh, this is is something that we've developed over a couple of years, but I'm really at this point uh, quite pleased with where it with where it sits. Is this idea of the uh, maturity model associated, you know, the enterprise management maturity model? So we've talked a lot about these five pillars in the 22 dimensions. Well, what the maturity model is is a way to go to assess each of those dimensions and assign them a score. Uh, in our model, it's it's a, a score of one to five, where one is unaware, the organization just lacks awareness of what's happening in their data ecosystem, whereas five is evolutionary. And the whole idea is that when when you when you assess the organization and their use of power platform along those lines, you're able to generate some really interesting data in the moment, but also data over time. So you're looking at what's the aggregate platform maturity? Where are we? What's the sum of some some in the average of the parts here? What is the pillar level maturity? And what that lets us do is it lets us say, speak in really kind of clear quantitative terms with an organization and say, hey, um, you're doing great here. 
But over, you're doing great when it comes to user empowerment, but say from an enterprise architecture perspective, you're a mess. Um, therefore, enterprise architecture, and when we say enterprise architecture, we're thinking data ecosystem, environments, um, you know, those types of things. Let's invest our money, whether it's uh, you know, paying a partner to help us or whether it's um, you know, doing something internally. This is where the area of greatest risk exists today, and let's invest our money there. Um, well, once you've done this and once you've gotten into this rhythm where you're kind of constantly assessing where you stand from a maturity perspective, you can actually see trends over time. You can see where, hey, the introduction of a new feature from Microsoft has has decreased our risk in an area or, hey, maybe we weren't prepared for that new feature. So it's actually increased our risk in an area. And, oh, we've spent all this money on this partner. Well, what are the results of that? Well, we've bought down our risk from we've gone mm-hmm. from being maybe in disarray to being reactive or strategic. So that's that's how we think about it. And that's actually new to the framework over the last, I would say, six to 12 months. So if, if people haven't seen that, definitely definitely check that out. Mm-hmm. I, I hope this is not a curveball for anybody. Um, has it been, has, has, has uh, TOGAF, you know, TOGAF been considered in any part of, of what you're thinking here? Lee, I saw you come off mute. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I thought you were about to start speaking, sorry. Uh, it has to some degree, and it's actually one of the things that's on the backlog for us as well to to bring in further. So I think we're all aware of TOGAF at different levels. Yeah. Um, and and, it, and I, it, I always feel TOGAF was is written for the pre, and I, I could be way wrong here, the pre-cloud era, is that, you know, where it's come from? Yeah. And so just in, in and I, so I, you know, I've had, People on my team come to me and go, you know, will you sponsor me through getting TOGAF certified? I did. And I didn't see in our eco, as in, in the projects that it, it created a lot of value. Yes, it was a qual that they had then on their CV, but I've I've struggled to see whether I would sponsor that ongoing. But now in, in this conversation today, I'm wondering whether that also should be, you know, part of that story. So, Lee, tell us what are your thoughts on on where you're talking about TOGAF on the backlog. Um, what were you thinking? Yeah, so I think I think there's definitely parallels between some of the things in the framework and the TOGAF framework, but I think there are. I don't think some of TOGAF from I'm far from an expert on that, but some of the some of the things don't seem to sit nicely with how we deliver not just Power Platform, but the the digital transformation around and the the business transformation around Power Platform, um, which is why it's never gone any further than it is right now. Um, so I know that's something that Keith is actually looking into probably more so than than Andrew, I or Lucy at the moment, because um, that's something that he's very interested in. But there's there's definitely parallels, and it's something that needs to come closer to the adoption framework. But I don't think it I don't think it knits perfectly. Um, and is kind of the modern way that we would hope to hope to push the platform forward. But yeah. we shall see what happens over time. Yeah, because like TOGAF, outside of, you know, the essentials of it, you know, they deal with two main areas, which is business architecture and integrated risk and security, which, you know, I see some parallels. Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. I, I also think, though, and, and Lee kind of, Lee hinted at this a little bit, but I'll, I'll be... Um, uh, I might not go far so far as as a Dynamics three six five is dead moment, Mark. But I do think that <laughs> frameworks frameworks have have a lifespan. They have a life cycle, right? And a lot of times, what happens, right, is that you you have a framework or you have an idea, and it kind of becomes the vehicle for in the earlier days and, and kind of through its midlife, it delivers a lot of value. But then, as you just sort of pile more and more and more onto it. The framework, a, a framework can become uh, an, an inhibitor to success yes. and, and to products. So what I'm not totally. saying here is I'm not trying to criticize TOGAF as a, as a concept. I'm trying to say that we've been very, very um, committed to and had a lot of conversations about not just about what to put into the framework, but about what not to put into the framework. Because... Yeah. We don't. We want the framework to be uh, a catalyst or a, a promoter of rapid progress and organizations getting to value quickly. Uh, we do not want it to be uh, a block 
to success. So if you have a need for a framework like Kogaf, that is you know f- fantastic. But I almost sometimes you know I, we we definitely have a lot of conversations amongst ourselves as hey you know let's not make this too difficult to use. Make it comprehensive, but make it value centered rather than um, you know compliance centered. Mm-hmm. Lucy, I couldn't agree more. And I think yeah, just to add to that, this is. I think we've, we, you know, really to expand on your point, Andrea, is we quite often see, you know, training guidance, detailed RFP structures as really being an excuse not to do something as opposed to a reason to invest even more heavily in doing something. And, and really, I think the other thing that we should point out about the Power Platform Adoption Framework is that you can, you can kind of dip into it. At various points, it might be, you know, back to Lee's point right at the start, it would be luxury if all the scenarios we're going into with Power mm-hmm. Platform are greenfield sites, pure Microsoft yeah, yeah. houses, you know, making it super easy from a technical perspective. But in reality, that just isn't the case. And it goes, it, it's the same from a people perspective as well, right? You know, organizations may have seen failed projects before or unsuccessful adoption. And so really the, the adoption framework is around what have you got key challenges on? And here is our guidance, guidance on how to make it relevant to you as your organization, or if you're a partner to your customer's organization. Um, and really try and paint that picture as opposed to put up guardrails and barriers. to Totally, to totally. And, and the thing is, the last thing we want is, is religious fervor when it comes to, to uh, systems like this. Like you, you'll get a, a, a TOGAF purist and they're trying like, you know, every... Uh, I must be dotted, T must be crossed in line with the system. You get the same thing in Agile. You get these Agile purists, which are, you know, we're on a project and it no longer is about the deliverable so much of the project is that, are we following pure Agile? And I'm just like, you know, I remember one of my staff one one day saying to me, an architect, he was saying, you know, as in where the struggle was coming into play with, with purist um, uh, around Agile. And he was like, you know, when you go to a store and you buy a TV, you don't drill into, <laughs> you know, did you follow a, a methodology in in doing that? Like, I'm, I'm not going to take this TV unless you followed a particular, you know, where you waterfall or were you, and, and you know, sometimes the concern, and that's why I find there's, it's kind of heavy, the TOGAF side of things. And and what, what, you see, what I'm seeing here is this flexibility with your framework around using the bits that are going to work, but also having the kind of, risk mitigation elements that these other things have been thought of and perhaps you should be thinking of them as well um, to, to make sure that you are doing an enterprise delivery um, uh, by, by you know, adopting the framework. Exactly that. It's about confidence, right? Mm. And I can tell you, Lee and I have definitely have had that absolutely in-depth debate about not taking Agile to the extent. So yeah, I have full empathy for that. <laughs> it's probably one of the reasons we've never bought a TV. <laughs> you, you guys have a number of TVs in your house. Yeah, it, you know what? Also, I, I will. Um, a couple of years ago, and, and for those of you playing uh, Andrew running his mouth bingo at home, yes, I'm about to mention my my book, which has nothing to do with with Power Platform. Um, Mate, I've, I've got it was a, a question matter of time. Mark. It was a matter okay. of time. Oh, we'll, we'll, uh, Fifty nine <laughs> minutes in, but we got there. It was we, a matter of time. I, we had okay, bets on okay. which minute that was going to be. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, sorry guys. Um, well, so I won't say anything. I won't say too much about the book, but um, I'll, I'll wait for Mark for whatever Mark wants to ask. But I, I will say when I when I decided to really commit myself to to writing this book, I was sitting at a uh, I was sitting at a outside at a wine bar in Stockholm, Sweden, and my cousin. Um, by the way, that Lucy Lee, that's double bingo because I mentioned the book and Sweden in the same story. Very well um, done. Very well done. Yeah. Right. Right. But in any case, I was I was sitting there and and he asked me. He said, "Well, what do you want to do next?" And I said, "I really want to write a book." And he said, "Well, what are you what are you thinking of maybe writing a book about?" And I said, "Well, um, either a, a, a novel, a, a work of fiction, or a book about wine." Or a book that I'm thinking the working title is Why Most Project Management is Bullshit. And he sort of <laughs> laughed and he said, all right, well, why don't we park the project management and talk about the wine and, and the fiction? But mm. as I've sort of, you know, I've sort of thought about that and kind of gotten back to this idea that, you know, most project management is bullshit. Um, one thing that is new in the framework um, when we think about building and solution development, so now the newly renamed solution development bit, um, is a 
kind of a step, not a detailed step-by-step, but it's these are the activities when you are developing a solution in that critical or or enterprise important kind of band of, of criticality, these are the things that you need to do when it comes to, to developing that solution. So the idea is not to provide a dogma, agile, waterfall, whatever, around project management. It is to provide some really kind of um, uh, concrete activities that one should undertake in a way that makes sense inside of your organization to build those kinds of, of important and, and critical solutions. So if that's of interest to, to folks, you should definitely go uh, trying to cut through the project management BS and get to like, what do you actually need to do to build one of these things? Um, so yeah. that's in there now as well. Nice. So we're, we're, uh, we'll wrap up with this question before I get into some quick fire questions. Get ready for yours, Andrew. Um, what I, what I, uh, any final words that you want to add? Lee, starting with you, anything you want to add to close? Uh, other than please get involved with this. This is a community project. Um, we're all now delivering Power Platform in different ways, shape, or form. Please let mm-hmm. us know what is good, bad, and indifferent, and get involved to help make it better. I like it. Andrew? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. The question was, what's what's the last thing I want to F- add? Fi- no, final I, words. <laughs> final words. Before, my, my, we, uh... my, final, my final word is, is that... This is this has always been a community effort. I think that everyone should expect to see more of a, an increasing orientation around this being really community driven, community led, mm-hmm. um, which I think is great because it means that uh, everyone can use it. It doesn't matter who you work for. It doesn't matter what kind of work you're doing. Everyone can use that. But the flip side of that is that it really does continue to depend on the input and the best practices from all. Uh, we do not have a monopoly on good ideas, and uh, some of the most some of the most useful things that have entered into the framework uh, to date have actually been inspired by by others. So, nice. so keep that coming and 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 continue to make to, to contribute. I like it, Lucy. Adding on to that, I really want to hear the success stories. You know, uh, we talk yes. about this being a community tool but actually what i really want to mm. hear is how have the community used this to their advantage so yeah use the hashtag mm-hmm. like bpaf it. and tell us your stories hashtag power look at me forgetting AF. the d power platform yeah sorry i know <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, it's quick fire question time always a little entertaining about what comes up with the quirk but i think i must open <laughs> in fact no i'm gonna leave andrew till the end um uh, we'll start with lucy uh, here's your quick fire question. I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm slightly nervous, but I'm ready because this got me last time we had a podcast. Would Would you rather date someone you love or date someone who loves you? <laughs> Lee, you want to input? Oh, mate, give up either way. <laughs> Do you know what? I would neither. I would, I would love us a balanced sense of love. Sorry, Mark. I love it. I love it. Okay, so second question for you, Lucy. No, it's actually for you, Lee. Lee. You're not going to ask me the same question, are you? No, Lee. (laughs) Would you rather be proposed to in private or in front of family and friends? Oh, God, neither, but in private, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, I thought this was going to get super awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Or on a podcast. Actually, I was just going to say on a podcast with yourself, Mark, I think would be ideal. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay, okay, here you go. Um, and anybody can take take this one here. If you had to change your name, what would you change it to? Baker. <laughs> <laughs> well, there it is, folks. There it is. Happened here first. Right, I'm going to go now. <laughs> okay, the final two questions are for Andrew because I feel he's feeling a bit left out of this uh, I, one-sided I am, I conversation. Feel, I feel really good about all the questions that were not asked of me just now. So that's, that's, (laughs) I'm I'm feeling good. Okay. Here's your second to last question, Andrew. What state or country do you never want to go back to? Oh, oh God. Uh, What state or country do I never want to go back to? You know, I had a, I'm going to, I'm going to split the difference here. I had an absolute terrible time in Porto, in Portugal. Uh, but I no had way, it's my favorite I city. A, I had an absolutely lovely time in uh, the Douro Valley outside of Porto mm-hmm. and in Lisbon. Yes, yes. So I, can't, I cannot hate on Portugal. Portugal is 
an amazing country. I just had an awful time in Porto. So whenever I think oh. of like the city that I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, I think you're that, that's so my, wrong my on this one, Andrew. Wow. I'm with Mark. Totally. Porto is like totally. 100% one of my favorite you, cities. If, if you can uh, go to Porto for the Festival of St. Charles, honestly, it's amazing. Like, and you've got to be up all night for it. The Festival of St. Charles or St. John in English, but it's absolutely absolutely worth doing that once in your life. Sold. Amazing. Sold. And the irony is, Andrew, that that's one of the only countries we can physically actually go to at the moment. Yeah. I know. Okay, final question for Andrew. Final question. Andrew, what book have you read recently that you'd recommend and why? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) As a cure for insomnia or as an actual good read? (laughs) Go for it, Andrew. Uh, Oh God! What what book have I read recently? Um, what's well, what's the so, title of your book? What, what's the title of my book? Uh, are you suggesting I read my own bookmark? Because that's what oh, me and Lucy okay. think, and it's not actually true. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> um, okay, so so I'll 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 turn that around and say that one book that Lee and Lucy have read recently that they would recommend to others is Field Blends by Andrew D. Welch. And I, I they just can't keep saying enough about it. So uh, <laughs> I assume a link to love it. the Amazon Kindle download will be it, in the it, show it, notes. It will right? be it, it will be in there. I'll put it in the show notes. Absolutely it, must read. It does feel like a fitting time to mention that at one point of turning up to Andrew's flat and looking at Lucy's Amazon history, because he's been borrowing that at times, he'd ordered about a hundred copies copies of his own book to his own flat. So that is not true. I ordered 10 copies of my own book to my own flat. And that was because I sent them to people who apparently wanted to read and they were very grateful, unlike you, Lee. All right. So I'm looking at you, Alison Mulligan, Ryan McLean. Thanks, guys. Thanks for awesome. Thank, thanks for, for ordering Field Jokes Blends. aside, and, uh, Andrew, well massive kudos on writing not only one book, but maybe three. Yeah. Thanks. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay, with that, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Of course, we'll we'll put all, everything we've covered today in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the the PPAF continuing to uh, evolve. Thank you so much for having Thanks, us, Mark. Mark. Really appreciate Thanks, Mark. it. Mark. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, business application MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 guy. If there's a guest you'd like to hear on the show that's, you know, heavily involved in the Power Platform uh, community, uh, implementation, that type of thing, I'd love to hear from you. Please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. And as I said at the start, if you want to support the show, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash NZ365 guy. Stay safe out there and see you next time.